0: another fantastic episode of Adventures in DevOps. I am Nell Shamrell Harrington, one of your hosts here as always. With me are my fellow co-host Scott. Hey Scott, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great. How are you? I'm Scott from Cloud Mechanics and uh, I'm gonna do my best to have fun engaging conversations today with everybody. (laughs)
0: Fantastic. And I suppose I should mention I'm coming to you from the Seattle headquarters of Chef Software, my employer. Uh, Chuck, it's good to see you. How are you doing?
2: I'm exhausted. I've been fighting my Mac all morning. It's been running so slow that I couldn't get any work done. And it finally kicked in right before this show. So of course, I'm going to do the show and not work. (laughs) Well, I guess this is work, but it's not work. So yeah,
0: that sounds good. Well, I've often uh, said to people, I have a plus six intimidation factor with computers, so it, it knew <laughs> you were doing the show and it decided to work.
2: I'll pull out my D twenty just for you.
0: Yay! All right, and with us today we have a very special guest, Mr. John Epperson. Did I say your last name right?
3: Oh yeah, that's great. It's it's fine.
0: It's good enough. <laughs> it's good enough. It's,
3: I don't. Yeah, it's what it is.
2: The thing that I believe most about top-notch developers is that they're constantly learning. Whether you're out watching videos, whether you're reading blog posts or books, whether you're out writing open source software, you're always out there learning how to be a better developer. And my friends at Thinkster and I teamed up and we put together a show called the DevEd Podcast. You can find it at devedpodcast.com. It's run by Joe Eames, who you might know from JavaScript, Jabber, Adventures in Angular and Views on Vue. And they have terrific conversations about what it means to become a better developer, to learn how to do development, and the ways that you can learn. So if you're looking for inspiration and ideas about how you can do better and learn better as a developer, then go check out the DevEd podcast.
0: Awesome. Well, tell us about yourself. How are you doing?
3: Um, I'm doing good. I Yeah, I just, what do you want to know? You're just sort of asking background?
0: Oh, background. would love if you do a little introduction of yourself for our listeners.
3: Sounds good. So I'm John Epperson. Um, I am the author of ShipLane. Lane. Uh, I have been a developer and uh, done DevOps, sort of has been the side hat that I've always worn throughout my whole entire career for about 12 years now. Um, I got really fed up with uh, I love Docker and I love the ecosystem. I just felt like it wasn't automated enough for me. And I kind of got fed up that the tool that I wanted wasn't there. So I made Shiplane to solve it.
0: Awesome. Well, I, in preparing for the show, I took a look at one of your talks, uh, Docker, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I thought yeah. maybe we could discuss that a little bit and then uh, head on into discussing Shiplane.
3: That sounds good to me.
2: I've been talking to Doug Crockford for JavaScript Jabber. It should be Docker the good parts,
3: right? (laughs) This, this, like I I wrote this title on purpose. I think there's good parts, bad parts, and there's some really ugly parts too.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, in the talk, you start out by uh, talking about three camps of developers pioneers settlers and townsfolk which made me go back to my late 80s early 90s childhood playing the oregon trail uh but tell us a little bit more about about uh your your concepts of these three types of developers
3: yeah so i i mean i i put them in this talk because this is very influential to me and how i view how i look at things um i i feel like i don't know i've always run into the random pioneers throughout my career that person right that like always wants to try out the newest thing and that's never been my camp i tend to sit in the settler camp which is a technology doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be totally ready but you sort of have to convince me that a technology is pretty much mostly there you know maybe there's still some tools to build or some houses to build in the town right sort of right but uh, it's mostly there, it's mostly working. It gives me value, right? If you can give me a good value proposition for technology, I'll typically at least try it out, right? Um, and then, you know, townspoker, I feel like those are gonna be, I feel like you can kind of sort of take a caricature of like really big companies, right? That won't pick up a technology until, you know, it's like been huge, it's been in the market for 10 years and it's like rock solid at that point, right? And I think it's important because to me, I think the Docker space really kind of is in that sort of settler phase. And so to me, shiplane kind of fits as, Hey, I came in, I see a problem. This is a tool that sort of needs to exist in the ecosystem. Here's my solution to this problem.
2: Yeah. The way that I've heard it explained is essentially you have the trailblazers, right? So they're out there making the path, right? And so, yeah, what you're saying is, is, the path is there, right? We, we know how to get west, so to speak. But, you know, we, and we know the trail and there are gonna be other people traveling the trail, but there may not always be convenient outposts. And it sounds like Ship Lane's one of those convenient outposts.
3: Yeah, I mean, to be totally honest, what I kind of, a lot, a lot, a lot like that, right? Like for me, Ship Lane is intended to sort of be like, all right, I'm gonna build a road. Right. And this road is going to have stuff on it and it's going to be the normal road. And it's probably going to go along the path most of the way, you know, but, oh, hey, look, you know, the path goes over a mountain here. Let's go around the mountain and pave the road. So I'm trying to create a sane path. But, yeah, I think the analogy fits pretty closely.
1: So so can you explain actually what Shiplane is? I don't know that we did that yet for our users.
3: Not a problem. So, um, So I've been using Docker for a long time uh well i shouldn't say a long time i'm sure people have been using it for longer than me but i've been using it for about four or five years now one of the things i do is i put these docker compose yamls in every project that i work on so my background is mostly being a developer and uh, i find it really awesome and easy to get people to be onboarded when there's a docker compose yaml in the environment and it contains all of the everything that you need more or less to get rolling right Uh, i find that really easy to use but there's there's a bit of a disconnect between that Docker Compose and what I have running in production. And my frustration has always been, well, I've just defined all of the dependencies of my app in this Docker Compose. Now, maybe they're slightly different, right? So maybe, uh, of course, as a developer, I'm using my a local database of some kind. Um, maybe I'm using some sort of Uh, For example, I do a lot of Ruby projects, so MailCatcher, right? Uh, It's just a local email SMTP, like uh, pretends that it's SMTP service, things like that. So maybe I'm doing that locally. But if I could sort of take those differences and just define what the differences are, I've actually defined all of the dependencies in my app in that Docker Compose. So why should I have to maintain? So if I use Kubernetes, why should I have to maintain separate files? Or if I am using Docker Compose, why should I have a production Docker Compose and a local Docker Compose. That's just asking for trouble, differences between the two. Um, or worst case scenario, if you don't even know that those standards exist because you're really new to the Docker system, period, how do you even start? There's a lot to learn. Um, I actually was listening to a few of you guys' recent episodes um, in the past week or whatever, and you know, it comes up, right? Kubernetes has a reputation for being sort of config hell for a good reason. It's hard to learn all that stuff, it's hard to know, which things to bite off, which technologies to combine together to get to the the end. It requires a lot of expertise. So all of that frustration, it kind of led me to be like, okay, well, Docker Compose should sort of be the thing that like, I'm sorry, Shiplane should be the thing that like says, okay, I have a Docker Compose, I defined everything. Now magically make it happen in production for me, right? And I should be able to do it however I want. And that's what it is.
2: Uh, isn't the game supposed to be funner on nightmare mode though?
3: <laughs> I mean, there are people that love nightmare mode, right? Uh, there's a reason why, uh, what was that? Uh, that recent game that's super popular in the past few years, whatever. Dark Souls. That's what it was.
0: Oh, I was going to say untitled goose game. but <laughs> <laughs>
3: I
1: thought you were talking about Fortnite or something, maybe. No, no, no,
2: no, no, So now I, I, have I to don't get up and do one of the dances, right?
3: I, do I don't floss. play either one. <laughs> Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, people do like to, and developers like to do that too. Like there's lots of developers that are like, well, I want to get my hands dirty, but there's also a lot of people. So I can, I have a lot of experience using Ruby and Rails, right? And to me, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about why Rails got popular and things like this. But to me, the reason why it got popular was really at the end of the day, Rails just said, look, this is a sane way that you can sort of not know what you're doing, but still be productive, right? And I think that appeals to a lot of people. And in a lot of ways, like that's that's one of the things that I'm kind of hoping that Chaplain fills as well, is like, there's a lot to know in the DevOps world. And in fact, there's still, we're starting to get specialties within the DevOps world itself. Um, eventually it's gonna be too much for everyone, for a given person to know, um, oh, yeah. unless you just like really want to. And I think that there's room for people to not know everything, and just pick out the part that you happen to be really good at and, and do that. So Shiplane's intended to be something that gives you everything, but lets you sort of say, I don't want this piece, let me throw it away and plug my own in.
0: Nice. Sounds awesome. Yep. So how, uh, it's, it's been, a, I came from a Ruby, Ruby on Rails and, uh, background, but it's been a while since I was in it day to day. How is the Rails and Docker ecosystem
3: Um, There's a lot of people and a lot of opinions on like how you get a Rails app running on Docker and things like this. I actually think that out of most of the Docker ecosystems that I've kind of encountered, the Rails one is like the weakest, if that makes sense. Like there is a lot of discussion. There's not really a lot of settling on, on what you should and shouldn't do. There are some loud voices, of course, there always are. But I, I don't think it's a subtle thing. I don't think it's a subtle thing anywhere, but I feel like it's more unsettled here than what I see in other places.
2: Yeah, just to pile on here, since I talked to a lot of people across a lot of ecosystems, yeah, they're in a lot of the other ecosystems, right? I mean, even like JavaScript or some of the front end, like build in Docker kind of setups, there's generally a widely accepted way to do it. And then maybe a couple of other folks have come up with their own way that they like it done. And I don't even see any kind of like minor consensus in the Ruby or Rails ecosystems. Um, people talk about it, people muddle, muddle their way through it, but there's not really a well-baked solution for it.
1: Yeah, if I, if I may, I was going to make a little divergence into the comment you made about like, you know, Rails and popularity and stuff. I think you guys, as the, I'm as the Python developer in the room, so to speak... I think you guys underestimate how good you guys have done at promoting and having enthusiasm and excitement for Ruby and Rails. Because I think, I think potentially Python has a lot of those same things and, you know, but it's just, there's just not as much self-promotion. And I just think you guys have just done a better job of marketing in general. And I think that's, in no way takes away from what exists and has been done. I just think that it's all that, you know, there's a lot of just, you know, and of course the biggest promoter of all, the creator of Rails. So, you know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> awesome. So do you have, can you, uh, John, can you take us through the process? I know you you mentioned earlier that you uh, have two apps running in production that are using Shiplane. Uh, can you take us a bit through the process of getting those using Docker or using Shiplane and, and how you did it?
3: Um, are you curious about how I made Shiplane or about how I got these apps onto Shiplane?
0: Let's talk about how you made Shiplane first. Uh, and then let's talk about how you got those apps onto Shiplane.
3: Okay. So, uh, so Shiplane actually originally sort of before I was really sold on Docker, I was actually making an equivalent thing, putting vagrants with chef in all of my, um, in all of my apps before that, that's kind of, that was my thing at one point. And so it actually originally started out as just this gigantic, uh, collection of, of chef things that I was trying, I was trying to be, more or less create a process to make this repeatable. And so I I found this pattern one time and I sort of like modified it where people were like using Vagrants to do all of their local things. And I was like, well, that's better than mine. So I like co-opted that a little bit. And then I saw somewhere, I was like, all right, I, need, I wanted a way to sort of make this happen in production. And I remembered, I don't remember exactly how I encountered it. Somehow I encountered uh, somebody using Vagrant and chef to kind of build a box on AWS. And I was like, all right, so I took that piece. Anyway, so this like, it actually really started out like this. Like I just made a big right, build my box in AWS and it was super clunky and it always fell apart or whatever. But that's where the sort of idea of like, all right, I want a locally defined thing and I want it to happen in production. And then Docker for Mac came out. So Docker stopped being so awful to use. And I was like, this is awesome. And now I can more or less tell somebody else, hey, just install Docker for Mac or Docker for Windows or whatever you have. I think, I don't remember if Windows came out at the same time Docker for Mac did, but came out somewhat close. And so now I was like convinced, okay, I'll just make these Docker files. So that's what I did. And then I was like, well, crap, now I need a way to sort of replicate my process to get it to production. And so I actually made a sort of... uh A early version of it for a company that I used to work for or whatever. And uh, it just became part of the CI pipeline or whatever. So you would would commit your code, it would get built, and then it would eventually go, you know, that would get uploaded to, uh, you know, at the time, just Docker Hub or whatever, right? So just get uploaded to Docker Hub, then you would go to deploy, it would just pull down your image and voila, you're off to the races. And that's more or less how it morphed and then, I took some of those lessons and brought them in, and tried to make, I tried to make a, uh, how should I call this, a more modular type thing, because right now, if you go to ShipLane right now, what you're what you're getting when you install my gem, which is basically a Ruby library, is you're getting a thing that puts, uh, takes your Docker Compose YAML and runs your app in production on raw Docker, makes the network for you and stuff like that. It it runs it, you know, it it more or less, it, it allows you to connect to services that you need to. So if you have like a database out here somewhere or whatever, it doesn't care about that. It also lets you run your database in your cluster, um, which is, it's what it is. Uh, most people that are running like small apps, doesn't matter for them. Um, don't do it if you have a big app or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Or I won't be the one to, to, to suggest to people that they should do that or whatever. Even though I don't think most people are running into the actual conditions that that's a problem, but. Yeah, that's more or less what it is.
0: I know uh, from personal experience, one of the big challenges with Docker is defining the networking. Does Shiplane help with setting up the networking for Docker containers?
3: It more or less creates a, uh, just a, a sane default network or whatever. And, uh, oh my gosh, what's the name of that really common JW? Uh, um, it's like JW Nginx um, uh, proxy thing or whatever, but Nginx proxy Docker and it like, jwilder that's what it is or whatever so it uses like jwilder's nginx proxy to sort of act as both your um uh, so it uses jwilder's nginx proxy as your load balancer and it kind of acts as a bit as your bastion server everything like that right so it creates a more or less sane-ish network for you and all all the images that you need to run are just running on that network so they're able to talk to each other just like they would be if you ran your Docker compose locally.
0: Awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think you also mentioned it handles connections to stateful data stores like a, an RDS database or something to that effect.
3: Yeah. So for example, um, the two projects that I have it working on, uh, they're both more or less small websites. So the the amount of times that you're hitting disk is basically like near to none. Uh, so I don't care that my both of my databases are more or less like running locally in my cluster on Docker containers. That's fine. It was easy for me to do. And I think that's perfectly sane for that kind of a thing. Um, however it handles natively. Like if you just want to point to an outside database, like have Amazon RDS or something like that, running your stuff, that's fine for RDB probably actually RDS. I think it's something else. Yeah. It just handles it natively. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter to, uh, It doesn't matter to my tool whether you're using it internally or not. In fact, it's not really all that different. It's probably harder to be honest for me to create database containers to run than to use RDB, but RDB costs money, so.
0: Got it.
2: Have you ever felt like JavaScript is just everywhere? Well, we have. We actually had a conversation on JavaScript Jabber about what you can build with JavaScript. We've also talked about what JavaScript is and how we're inspired by the language. If you're interested in JavaScript or doing web development, then you definitely need to check out JavaScript Jabber. You can find it at
3: javascriptjabber.com.
0: I was, I was just going to bring us to into, uh, are there any apps that are using Shiplane today?
3: Um, so so like I said, I have two apps, right? So one is the app that, so I, I had a podcast a long time ago. It's like sort of a political podcast. And so I keep the site up for that. And then I have, you know, a side project or whatever that most of us have side projects working on. And we host it via that as well. Um, neither one of them gets tons of traffic or whatever. Because, I mean, let's be honest, everyone who is downloading my podcast is downloading from Apple apps, right? So mm-hmm. just gets hit whenever they pull it. And that's it. Or Apple podcasts, whatever. Gotcha. Yes, yeah, so they aren't high traffic sites, but that also hasn't been the goal yet. We'll mm-hmm. get there.
2: So I think you mentioned docker compose and I may have missed it but do you support kubernetes?
3: So I am working on the module for kubernetes. The intention is to support kubernetes because it just makes sense. It's not it's not built in such a way where it's like difficult to for me to like use kubernetes, but there's like two major things that are going on. One, I'm converting a docker compose yaml into what my idea of sane kubernetes config files looks like. So trying to decide what I think the same thing is is actually the thing that's taken the most time for me. I have, a, I have one example where I put one of my apps on a Kubernetes thing, and, and I was like, all right, this is kind of, it's working, it's clunky, and it works or whatever. But as far as like, do I know that that particular thing is going to scale up? I, I don't. It's not ready for release yet. Um, and a website is really not really a good test case for a kubernetes environment for as far as it, it's just really a website doesn't need what kubernetes is mostly giving you like its value just really isn't there the only thing that i would argue that kubernetes is giving you that's like really awesome even for a website is hey it brings your containers back up if they die
0: this is true i work with a nonprofit called operation code and we run our organization website on kubernetes which feels a bit overkill uh, but there's two reasons for that. One is yes, it brings the Docker containers back up, which is useful. But two, we mean it to be a teaching tool, along with being a functional organizational website. And because Kubernetes skills are so in demand, we want people to be getting those skills as they work on our projects.
3: That's cool. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. But yeah, I do, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to justify use on a small thing. But either way, it ex it it exists. It's in progress, but it's not ready. It's not ready for prime time yet. If you think shiplane's really cool and you're like, hey, can I like, you know, test out this sort of like not even an alpha thing? Like, just just ping me. I have a Discord server linked in my uh in my repo and that's I always answer on there. So it's the best way to get a hold of me.
0: Awesome. Uh so I want to press on the Kubernetes thing just a little bit more. If someone came to you and asked the question, what's the difference between ship using shiplane and defining a Kubernetes manifest where where do you see the difference?
3: Um for me the uh, it's mostly a knowledge barrier in order to use Kubernetes, you have to know you have to know a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You have to then also know uh, how to convert your stuff into a Kubernetes thing uh, a Kubernetes equivalent, right make all those config files yourself. You also have to decide you know if you want to keep that in source code, you have to use an extra tool to kind of manage that and then you have to decide on all the you know the other kubernetes tools that are involved the goal of shiplane is to more or less say okay kubernetes is like freaking awesome cuz it is but the knowledge barrier shouldn't necessarily exist i should just be able to create a sane kubernetes configuration that you can use never have to more or less learn a thing about kubernetes and then you can you can continue to use shiplane or whatever like you would on other projects so the big the big draw for me is Shiplane has a config file that's about 35 lines long. And half of that config is, how do I build my app? Beyond that, but when you, what you do in Kubernetes is, okay, so I have an app, I now have to define, hey, this is what my containers are, this is what the wrapper around my containers are. yeah, um, Pods, basically, right? Um, and then, you know, this is this is my service, this is how I, do I want them to stay alive or not? I feel like everyone that's like using Kubernetes, for the most part, I feel like a good sane default is, keep my stuff alive for me, come on. Uh, it, you know, then I have to define ingress points and how everybody talks to each other. And for the most part, most simple cases, I feel like are, we'll just let all my stuff talk to each other. That's fine for most simple cases. And I feel like the, the idea behind ShipLane is, I should make the config file like easy to do, and then I should be able to come back in later and say, all right, now I have a hard use case. My website is growing and I have this gigantic application. I'm adding more microservices. Now I actually need to do more stuff. Okay, well, let's start overwriting some pieces. And that's the intention and that's how I've written it. I That feature for specifically for Kubernetes is not made yet, but the the idea of the project and every piece of the project so far has been made, made with that in mind.
0: Got it. So I just really? not I really like this. It does sound kind of like containers with guardrails, uh, but not necessarily having to have the complexity of Kubernetes or another orchestrator on top of it. It seems like it'd be really useful for people who are just getting started with containerizing their apps.
1: It
2: it now, is kind you of got dangerously that. close to containers on rails.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, there there is that crane that picks up the container and puts it on the ship. True. I mean, that that <laughs> there we <laughs> is, go. That's Can another I analogy, them? right?
3: So, so yeah, the the idea of ship lane, ship lane, is itself an analogy, right? So, so I thought that rails kind of defined. So, uh, there's all these analogies around. Well, if you like go off the rails, right? Like it's harder when you when you try to do stuff that's not part of the same ecosystem, right? Like you're kind of going off the rails and things. And I was like, well, rails kind of define like the main path across a country, you know, and things like that. Right. So I was like, well, that the analogy in the sea, right. Was, was a ship lane, And I was like, that's kind of where I want to go with this. Mm-hmm. So.
1: And, and you, you, can you explain some of the technologies that you're using to actually, you know, kind of get all this stuff deployed? I see there's Chef and Capistrano and you've kind of briefly mentioned them.
3: Yeah. So um eventually the goal I, I mean i have an issue open on this eventually the goal is to turn this into a binary because right now if you want to use uh shiplane you have to have ruby installed in your development environment at least right um so that you can download the jam and use it on your project and that's where capistrano comes in capistrano for ruby developers is a very familiar tool that's really just an ssh runner it logs into some server somewhere runs SSH commands on it and then quits, right? So Capistrano is just an easy way for you to write a bunch of SSH commands and kind of ignore the whole part about authentication as you're writing all these commands. That's really all it is, right? So for me, really what you're doing in ShipLane is, yeah, I'm using Capistrano, but it's really just me running SSH commands, writing a script more or less to do all of these things. It uses It uses real Ruby gems it specifically capistrano it uses chef right now is the only uh awesome. it's the only provisioner that i've that i've implemented i will probably uh with with understanding that maybe i'm gonna like lose a vote on the panel here or whatever i will probably implement ansible because i kind That's of feel okay. like that one is is kind of a strong winner <gasps> right now for people uh but i don't see myself taking care of, uh, there's no problem with somebody else writing a puppet version, but I will probably not take care of that. That's just not on my radar.
0: Fair enough.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause you have a pretty extensive uh, list of cookbooks in in the repository, which is why I was kind of wanting yeah. to delve into this. So.
3: And I hate taking care of that, which is actually one of the main motivators for why I like, I'm probably going to write an Ansible version. <laughs>
2: so one thing that I keep hearing is, um, you know, we're talking about Docker. We're talking about Docker in maybe production or maybe in development or in, in all these different places. So I, I guess I'm trying to figure out that use case, right? Is, is this something that I'm going to run on my development machine? Is it something that I'm going to point at Azure or AWS or uh, Oracle Cloud or GCP or something else and say, shiplane it to there, <laughs>
3: right? Okay, so... um. It's not, I haven't written anything at this time to deal with SaaS services, but in the same way that I'm writing something to deal with Kubernetes, um, I feel like it's the same principle to me. There's nothing stopping somebody who's eager and like loves this thing from like writing it before I ever get around to it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's intended to be a modular thing. In fact, right now it's probably like overly modularized because you have to install three different Mm -hmm. gems. But the intention is that you should be able to pick your provisioner, pick your, uh, and pick you know the way that you deploy it, right? So hey, I just want to deploy to Docker raw. I want to deploy to a Docker Compose environment. I want to deploy to Kubernetes. Theoretically, you should be able to build something that says, hey, I want to deploy to a SaaS service, like yeah. you know Google Google's Kubernetes thing or yeah. or EKS or whatever.
1: So I'll just, I was going to just read right from the documentation because it basically says Shiplane assumes that you have an empty, uh, VM, VPS or metal box of some form with Linux on it that you basically can SSH into, <laughs> right? So that's, that's essentially Today. what you start with before you bring Shiplane to the, the table.
3: Yeah. And I have a ticket in there too, because, um, in my sort of like long-term understanding of this, like I feel like something at the Terraform layer is, Terraform layer is highly appropriate. Uh. I just didn't want to push Shiplane out and talk about provisioning. And because, because people talk about provisioning uh, hardware and then they talk about provisioning software on that hardware. And I didn't really want to deal with that confusion, especially right at the beginning until I got it sorted out.
0: Yeah. That confusion has bitten me many times. I completely understand that.
3: Yeah.
1: And it's a digestible thing to start with. I mean, you know, trying to deploy the infrastructure and then, then deploy the software, I mean, There's There's a lot going on there. And yeah, so totally understand the focus.
3: It seems like a natural evolution to me. Like to me, that's, that's on my list of things to do because that seems like it's not too far outside of the goal. In fact, it's actually kind of part of the goal, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that would be, for somebody who has no idea what's up, they might not know how to go to Amazon, AWS and get themselves a box or DigitalOcean or something but I do feel like it's a fairly easy hurdle for most people to do at this point, so it's, it's farther, you know, triaging,
0: right? Yeah, it reminds me how uh, for Operation Code, we, we do have a development environment that's uh, Dockerized, but I was helping out a new contributor who had an older laptop that Docker does not work on at this time, uh, so we, uh, well, at this time. It it probably is not going to work on it, Uh, but we spun him up a a EC2 instance in AWS for him to do his development there.
3: Nice. Mm -hmm. Like the cloud nine or whatever it is, or just a raw box that's his?
0: Just a raw box that's his. That's
2: actually something that I did at one of the contracts I worked several years ago. Man, must've been like seven or eight years ago. But yeah, we had AWS instances that we would log into. They all had the same basically Emacs set up and all the libraries installed to run the app and everything. And so we could run it from there. We could, you know, hit the web server from, from wherever we were working and we would actually get on. What was it? It was one of the conference uh, conferencing systems before zoom, but yeah, we would get on. And so we would have a video chat open and then we'd have the window open using Tmux and we would actually pair program over the internet using some that's something
1: awesome like that. mm interesting
2: but yeah i could see implementing that across a bunch of places right and then saying okay this is our standard setup go
3: mm-hmm. i i mean that's a perfectly viable alternative right to to putting your darker compose in your in your repo and doing it i happen to not like it cuz i really would i would really miss sublime i like my visual editor and uh it would be hard for me to really make the switch
0: hmm that's fair enough. I am a Visual Studio Code person myself. Me too. So, John, where do you see uh, Shiplane going, let's say, in a year? Where, where would you like to see it?
3: In a year, I'm hoping to be totally done with the Kubernetes thing, have that like working. I'm hoping that more or less I'm getting some people trying it out and that Shiplane's like, actually starting to take off, right? where people are starting to use it. That's, that's kind of my like, year-ish goal.
0: And if people want to, if some of our listeners want to contribute, they want to help you get there, uh, what's the best thing for them to do? How 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 should they get started?
3: Um, try it out. If uh, it, what I would say is um, I've made myself available in that Discord channel purposely so that people can, so I happen to like Discord. I've always liked it a little bit better than Slack, but like to me, it's kind of, they're more or less interchangeable in that way, right? It's just a persistent channel where you can come in, you should be able to ask questions of me. Or anybody else maybe who might be chilling out in the channel get answers to your questions. I'm hoping that people will just like try it out and help me find the more of the edge cases. Uh, so one of the guys who's on Ruby Rogues, Andrew Mason. Uh, I actually used to work with him, and he he we paired for a weekend trying to get an app up and running or whatever. So and that there was tons of feedback that I got just from that because of course it works fine on my machine. I designed it for myself, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, just getting more people to try it is like my major thing. And um, I'm hoping to get people to just kind of like come out, hang out on channel, ask questions. The questions will be there for people in the future for a reference there. And, you know, eventually just kind of build community that way. I don't know. People don't hang out in IRC uh, channels as much anymore. So this is sort of like the equivalent space of that in my mind.
0: Yeah. One of the nice things about Discord for a community channel is you don't have the 10,000 message limit uh unlike with with free slack it's really really nice to be able to search through the whole uh, history
2: that's true too it we actually have a discord for devchat.tv and yeah it has a lot of the same niceties there and you can put bots in it and everything else so yeah
3: yep no it's nice i like it but yeah that's that's how i imagine it working that's that's kind of what i'm doing now is looking for other people who find it painful or just want to try it out
2: About 10 months before we started Ruby Rogues, which is the oldest podcast on devchat.tv, I went freelance. And one of the things that I figured out pretty fast is that I had no idea what I was doing. And I made a bunch of mistakes, but I also made a bunch of friends who were doing freelance. And we got together and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. And The Freelancer Show has been running about as long as JavaScript Jabber. But we talk every week about all of the things that we were learning and doing in freelancing and giving people advice on how to get their business started so that they could go out and be independent if that's what they wanted. Nowadays, I'm not on the show anymore, but we have terrific people like Ruben Lerner and Eric Dietrich that come on every week and talk to you about how they run their businesses and give other perspectives on things that you can do. So whether it's how to find clients, or whether it's how to step in and start doing training, or other programs, or how to run a business, they have a ton of experience. And they talk about all kinds of things that are going to help you pull things together and be successful as a freelancer. So whether you're thinking about moonlighting and trying it out or whether you're going whole hog and putting your job, you should definitely check out The Freelancer Show. And you can find that at freelancershow.com.
0: Cool. Well, is there anything else anyone would like to discuss? Uh, ship plane related, Docker related, rails related before we go to picks?
2: Um, I don't have anything. Yeah, I mean, mostly I'm just impressed. It's like, hey, there's a there's a convenient tool for a lot of this stuff that I can just kind of get started with. And I think that's, I think that's kind of the big deal with a lot of this. And I think you said this initially is that, yeah, there's a lot of discussion out there about it. There are a lot of things that people feel like they have to know about it. And a lot of times it's nice just to have a real easy place where you can go and get things together. And then you can kind of dig in under the covers if you really want to.
3: Yep. I One of the things that I'm really trying to do with Shiplane is like, um, I'm trying to find right now uh, a lot of those, oh my gosh, looking at looking at my uh, uh, slides or whatever, I'm not trying to find townsfolk right now, though in the end, I think that's who this really actually appeals Mm -hmm. to. But the people that I'm trying to find right now are those pioneers, right? And some, I think somewhat in some ways, the settlers, I think, can be mostly comfortable because the intention is around, uh, I don't know, I built it for myself, so I feel like it should theoretically appeal to them. But I definitely don't think it's ready for the townsfolk yet. There's too many edge cases. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I have a windows box or... I don't, uh, I mean, we got it to work just fine on a digital ocean box. So I know that's, so it should theoretically work on any host, but I don't know that for sure yet. Things like that.
1: One curious thing was I was thinking about was how, how are you, I guess, how are you on coverage on the, like the Docker compose API? Cause I imagine that's probably pretty large and building something that can search and you know, decompose all of those settings into and, and something that's shippable. I mean, that that sounds like a big task.
3: So I would say that so raw Docker definitely don't have a problem there, and I and I believe that when I do actually get around to making the Docker Compose version, it'll be more or less the same story, right? Okay. Um, but as far as Kubernetes goes, I would say that it works on my machine is the answer that I have to give there, right? Like, yeah. I'm working on getting it work for the use case that I have. I am definitely sure that there are edge cases that I'm just mm-hmm. not covering at all right now. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That, that to me is partly a thing. Uh, to me, that's sort of like polish once you feel like you have your major use case sort of like handled. But I don't even have an example app for a major use case, so that's kind of difficult for me as well.
2: Nice. So did we ask how people
3: can contribute to this? Yes. Okay. Try it and like, tell me what's broken.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it really highlights uh, science. I, I say to people when they tell me I want to get started in open source and I say, so one of the best things you can do is take a project, go through the process of using it as a new user write down all the weird quirks and such that you find and then submit a tutorial or just submit something to the readme uh, defining how to use it. it. It's really helpful because we the maintainers often, we've been staring at the code so freaking long uh, that we, it's easy to forget what, the, what, the, what it's like for a first time user. So yeah, that would be a great way to get started.
3: I definitely appreciate that validation
1: there. <laughs> yeah, always more documentation is helpful.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's true too. I I've written the documentation in such a way that like I can understand it. So yeah, definitely could, could use more people like putting their eyeballs on it and making it better. That was definitely one of the things that Andrew and I found out is that I had to modify the doc. Actually it wasn't correct. While we were doing it, I modified ShipLane to fit the documentation because I thought that the documentation's way of describing how you're supposed to do something was the right way it should be.
1: Nice.
0: Documentation-driven development, DDD, <laughs> right there.
3: <laughs>
2: that's not the way I learned it, but that's fine.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, John. That was wonderful. And uh, Yeah, something we often do is we often uh, you know cl- end the show uh, with some picks, picking out something that was useful to us uh, over the past week. It can be technology-related. It can be non-technology-related. You can have one. You can have two uh, I will go ahead and get us started. So I have two picks today. One is uh, an app, well, not, I don't know if it's an app, but a note-taking application called BoostNote, so a few years ago, I was searching for a some sort of note-taking application that would let me write my notes in Markdown. And I eventually settled on Quiver, which is fantastic, uh, but it only works well on Macs. Uh, it doesn't. And I'm at a point in my career now where I'm switching between Windows workstations, Linux workstations, uh, Mac workstations constantly. So I did another search recently looking at, I said, you know, I want a note-taking application that works across all these platforms, and I want to be able to run it in or write it in Markdown. Down. And Boost Note uh, seems to fit the bill. I'm enjoying using it so far. It's definitely something that was built for programmers, which works out well for me. Um, my other pick it has to do with the season. So I am an early November birthday, which does, in fact, my birthday might already have passed by the time this airs. <laughs> but the i always have the happiest uh memories associated with pumpkin 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 pie etc as soon as the pumpkin pies start appearing in the supermarket i know that my birthday's near so i'm i've already had my first two pumpkin pies of the season and looking forward to having more through thanksgiving so pumpkin pie is my other pick
2: <laughs> nice oh man when i go back
1: on keto it's was going to be sad.
0: Oh, so sad.
1: <laughs> I love pumpkin pie. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I will go next with the picks. Uh, so the, over the years I've kind of done intermittent fasting on and off and it's definitely a big, you know, popular thing. And you know, you Chuck, you even brought up the keto thing and I've never used like an app to track it. Cause I just was always like, well, I start at this time and I stop at this time. Um, and I've, I had not been intermittent fasting for probably almost a year. And I heard somebody mention an app called Zero, and it's just totally free, but it's just something that just makes that process really easy. And I'd like, maybe I'm like one of the last people to it, but you know, it's just made it to where now I've got like a, what a, a 44 day streak of fasting that I'm tracking and I'm averaging 15 and a half hours, you know, you know, across all my fasts. And it's just, I don't know, it just makes it easier. Cause I don't like a on some days I'm eating really late or something. It just makes that whole process really easy. So yeah, zero. I really like that. That has definitely made my ability to intermittent fast easier. Um,
2: is that just spelled Z E R O? Cause that sounds yeah, really interesting. Yeah.
1: Just like the, like the, it's just the letter zero or not, not the letter zero, but it's spelled like the letter zero. So, yeah, I think that's a cool little, cool little thing. And I've never been somebody who's done a whole lot. I've never tracked my food or anything like that. So this is kind of like a newer thing for me. The, uh, you know, I've kind of recently been kind of getting back into reading a bunch of programmer books and process books and stuff like that. and um, And I had never read any books about Scrum or... <laughs> any of, I've read some books on like agile and I've read some DevOps books and stuff like that. But uh, the guy, Jeff Sutherland, who was, I guess one of the co-founders of scrum wrote uh, the art of doing twice the work in half the time. And it's just called, you know, so I, I, I would highly recommend the book. I've really enjoyed it. And um, you know, I think that's a good little um, it's a good little, he gives a lot of history and a lot of interesting anecdotes around it and stuff. So I think that's a interesting book as well.
0: Awesome. Uh, Chuck, how about you?
2: Yeah. So, um, man, I feel like I haven't been on for a while. So I'm trying to think what's new, right? I did run a marathon, I think since the last time I've been on. It's been several weeks, so maybe not. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I had a terrific time. And some of the things I've been doing with that, one of the apps is uh, VO2 Max. Um, Now I have a coach. And so she actually goes in and puts my workouts in for me. Right. And then I just go and do whatever she says. And that's been really, really helpful. Um, another pick that I have related to that is, uh, I was doing a challenge at the same time called 75 hard. And, um, yeah, I, I, I finished that a couple of weeks ago and have really felt good. I actually lost about 40 pounds. So, nice. um, I'm feeling really great about that. I'm getting ready to go back into, uh, he has a phase one, that you can do after you finish 75 hard because 75 hard apparently isn't hard enough even though it was super hard. So um I'll I'll put links to the podcast episodes where he mentions those in the podcast or in the show notes so that people can check those out. But yeah, it's it's been really, really great just uh seeing, oh, I can do this if I really want, you know, if I'm really dedicated to it. And yeah, just just really getting into that. And then um I also, I'm just going to shout out, I've been working on putting an events tab on devchat.tv because I've been traveling so much. I kind of want to meet people when I'm in the city. <clears throat> so if you're in, uh, let's see, where am I going in the near future? I'm going to Nashville this weekend, but I think that's, I think we're too late for that one. I'm going to be in Orlando for Microsoft Ignite in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be in San Diego for KubeCon a couple of weeks after that. And then it looks like I'm probably going to be at Berlin React Days. So, if you want to meet up with me in any of those cities, then definitely go check that out. I kind of hesitate to email the mailing list about that because I figure, you know, out of the 10,000 or so people that are on the mailing list, I've probably hit like 50 or 60 people that are actually in those cities. And then that are interested is probably less. And I don't want to spam the whole list for that. So, this is kind of where I'm doing that. So,
1: yeah. yeah. I've definitely gone to meetups with people who have announced things on Twitter. So I highly recommend that. Like last minute things. Like I can't remember his name. Uh, he just, he used to do this whiskey thing and, um, yeah. So a guy wrote for the onion or whatever, he just threw something out there, you know, 20 people showed up. So it
3: was pretty cool.
2: That's a good idea. Twitter's mad at me right now. So I'll probably do it for the next event.
0: (laughs) Uh, John, how about you?
3: Well, speaking of whiskey, I actually had prepared already. So I'm a big, I'm a huge Scotch fan. Um, and so, uh, I did this on Ruby Rhodes 2 or whatever, but like, I, I was like, all right. So this past week I was enjoying my Scotch collection for normal. And I had to, I had to look up how to pronounce this one because like I always get it wrong or whatever, but it's actually called LeChig. And I will have the spelling down or the spelling will be in there because I'll put it in the notes or whatever. But, um, it is, it's an 18 year that I have or whatever. And it is like, anyway, it's awesome. Uh, I love it. I have, I have a number, I probably have 16, somewhere between 16 and 20 different scotches or whatever that I've just picked up. It's been a long journey for me. And this particular one is like, it's just, the funny thing is like, as I've gone through like learning about scotch and things, uh, some of the really high end ones are actually super accessible to people who have never had scotch. And those are the ones that I tend to actually I enjoy them a lot. So this one's like a super smoky one. Uh, I shouldn't say super smoky. It's like pretty. It's pretty smoky, but it's got. I love scotches that have like tons of notes in them. Uh, So this is this is one of those as well. It's really awesome. It's also pretty expensive, so you need to go over to somebody's house for that. Unless you're into it, then it's all cool too. But that's that's my uh, that's one of my picks. And the other one that I was going to do. Before you brought up uh, BoostNote, but I'll still do it anyways, I was going to say I actually recently switched a lot of my note taking stuff from just taking notes in Sublime and just text files that I would just keep open for years uh, to I actually switched to Notion this week and I've been like really pleased with it. it it's lacking Markdown. I'm definitely checking out BoostNote, I had no idea it existed. But, uh, but yeah, I've actually been pretty happy with Notion, especially, especially with like creating tasks, task lists, because that's, that's one of the things that I was always doing in Sublime is I would open up a new file, throw a bunch of things that I needed to do in that file. And then, you know, you only do, well, I, I would do like three quarters of the tasks on my task list. And then that one, that tab would sort of get like left for forever. So Notion's kind of allowed me to like fix a little bit of that. At least a weekend, I'm feeling good about it. So I've been pretty pleased with it. Hopefully, I won't hit the, uh, the limit where I have to pay for it just yet. But it's not too expensive if I do.
2: Yeah, we've used Notion for devchat.tv. The only issue that I've run into is that
3: they don't have an API. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I'm not using that functionality yet, but yeah, I, can I wanted see to where
2: automate in might... it, and you can't.
1: There's no Zapier integration yet, eh?
2: Nope. And that is killing me off because we're actually moving uh, over to Basecamp because of that until we I, get uh, the SaaS up and running.
1: I, well, it's funny because I wonder is how much of that application is running on your machine versus something that's, you know, connecting to the cloud. And that's, it looks like it's kind of a, most of that is happening on your like local machine, you know, like maybe there's like a local, you know, data store and everything. So,
3: so you're talking about uh, Notion here? Yeah. Oh, there's also a, yeah, I mean, probably true. There is a browser version, which was what I was using at first. Mm-hmm. Um, I did just recently install the app. Yeah. So.
1: I'm just, I w- I'm wondering if they're syncing the data between, you know, like your desktop and the cloud, whenever you're, you know, kind of to to do the both, but
3: I don't know. It's it's just purely a guess. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing on the hood, but that would make sense to me if I were writing a text app, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sweet.
0: Well, thank you everyone so much for uh, the talk, the discussion today. It was a great one. Thank you to all our listeners for listening and we will talk to you all next week. Take care, everyone. Bye.
2: Later. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more.